This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. And it is Wednesday, which means we're joined by journalist Chip Gibbons for some chip chat where we discuss. Hi, hi, Chip. Hi, Chip. Let me finish. Where we discuss injustice and tyranny and also snacks. And I just want to tell everyone that there are right now Entomans in the house. I have Entomans in my house right now. My snack game is on point. It's good. I'm glad to hear that. What, Cinnamon, powdered sugar. What are we talking about here? I got some popums, the little uh, chocolate donut holes. And then I have a new, there's a new Entomans. It says new on the box. Never seen them before. It's a, uh, a vanilla cupcake with frosting on top and some sort of vanilla cream in the middle. With sprinkles. It's like Funfetti, uh, Funfetti cake. Sounds good. I'm yeah. glad we uh, just gave some free advertising. <laughs> <laughs> you say that every week. What's it? Who cares? Uh, Chip? Yes. What are we talking about this week? Yeah, so last time you heard from me last week, I was pretty despondent. Uh, country was not looking so great. We had seen the police uh, spend... Uh, Eight minutes and 46 seconds uh, kneeling on someone's neck, killing them. And when people started protesting, police started attacking the protesters. Uh, And here in D.C., we had this really massive display of force by the federal government. Uh, And I think people could probably tell by my tone of voice last week that I was um, very upset. But since then, I have been out in the streets with thousands, probably on Saturday, hundreds of thousands of people, and there's few things more inspiring in life than joining people in the streets and and fighting for 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 justice. And I really am sort of amazed by like how just depressed about the state of the world I was before going out and joining a very large march the other afternoon, and like how much in, how inspired I was just by doing that. And on Saturday, Sam Knight was there. We saw huge numbers of people uh, in D.C. Sam, how many people do you think came out on Saturday? It was really hard for me to tell or give any kind of uh, estimate. It was, I would say, in the thousands for sure. But where we were, we were at the corner. We were on 8th Street right uh, near the intersection of 8th and 16th Northwest. And uh, at one point, uh, my wife and I tried to look down 16th Street to see if we could have any idea of how far down 16th uh, or how far up 16th the crowd was going. And uh, we just couldn't even get close to getting a good look. It was it was it was pretty packed. So news estimated 200,000. 200,000? Yeah, everywhere else just has thousands, but Fox News estimated 200,000. It was really weird because they were trying to downplay the size of the crowd. They're like, people expect that 1 million people and only 200,000 showed up. And for people who do not know, D.C. is a city of 700,000 people. So 200,000 no showed up in D.C.? Per, per the Fox News. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you know, take it with a grain of salt, I guess. But it, it's funny if, if they're trying to 
understated because yeah, that's, that's an incredible is turnout. Like is like thousands in D.C. than Fox News has. Hundreds of thousands of protesters gather in D.C. for massive George Floyd demonstration, and the military was on the day before reporting they were expecting 100 to 200,000 people. And then the first line, like literally every single other media outlet is thousands, which is bullshit, it's more than thousands. And then Fox News just starts hundreds of thousands of protesters gathered on Saturday, including near the White House. Um, a law enforcement source told Fox News that an estimated 200,000 people came to protest to DC throughout the course of the day. But wow. the paragraph starts with, Black Lives Matter organizers were hoping to draw a million protesters. A law enforcement source told Fox, no one was expecting a million people, but yeah, but no. So yeah, I, 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 I would suspect that Fox News' law enforcement source is potentially correct. Yeah, I, I was. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt like I could only see thousands from the the corner where I was. So it's, yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's hard on the ground. Uh, I wasn't out there Saturday. I was out there on Thursday of last week. But based on the pictures I saw on social media of Sixteenth Street, it looked like there were definitely hundreds of thousands out in the streets. And it was so spread out. Like you would be hanging out by the White House, and it would get too packed. So you would walk away. You'd walk over to like McPherson Square. You'd see a bunch of people in there, as, yeah. as the Fox News article mentioned, 2,000 people gathered at Malcolm X Park. Like, every time I wandered away from the White House, I'd be shocked. I'd see floods of people on, on the mall. I'd see floods of people by the Capitol. You would just run into random marches of several thousand people descending on the White House. So it was really sort of spread out, so it's hard to, to guess but the fact that everywhere I went, I saw so many people and there was no other reason to be in downtown, right, on on, on Saturday that day. Yeah, everything's and, boarded up. <laughs> yeah, and everyone had signs and shirts and stuff. So it was pretty, pretty impressive. It's a pretty, it's a dark moment, but it's also a hopeful moment. Yeah, I saw a guy grilling right at um, 16th and H, right by the church. And the grill? Free food for freedom fighters? Yes, the First Amendment grill. What was the guy's name again? Earl. Earl's Earl, right. Earl's grill. First Amendment grill. The revolution will be grill-pilled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Chip, you're right about the actions being all over the city. I mean, at any moment, there are masses of people gathered at uh, any landmark or federal building, it seems like. I know when I was out there, there was a march to the Martin Luther King Memorial, and then there was a, a protest going on there and I walked back to the White House and as I had gotten back to the White House, there was just as many people there that had gone to the MLK march and they were getting ready to go to a march to the Capitol. And then after they left, then more people were just gathering at the White House again in preparation for another march later. It just is constant. I walked away from the White House two or three times on Saturday and I ran into marches coming from the Capitol I walked away from the White House one time, went to a separate rally at Freedom Plaza outside City Hall. Um, someone, as I was leaving at 7, told me there were still people at the Lincoln Memorial. People had gathered at Lincoln Memorial in, in, in the morning, uh, and they were going to go out there, and I had just been out all day in the heat, so I was headed home. And as I was headed home, I ran into a march. And like I said, I went and sat in McPherson Square for a while, and like, the park was filled with people. It was all people there for the protests. Like everywhere you looked, every one of those little like, you know, parks in the downtown area, whether it's McPherson Square, Franklin Square, or Freedom Plaza, 
was was filled with people there for the protest. So it's a huge, huge thing. So uh, I guess we should dig into what the response has been so far. Uh, you know, not well, not oh, so God. much the the police crackdown, but what we've seen from policymakers so far. Sure. So the most promising thing I've seen is a bill to end qualified. Well, actually, this is not the most promising thing I've seen. The most promising thing I've seen is the demand from grassroots activists who are refusing the compromise, refusing to settle and are going with defund the police as their message. And, you know, police departments domestically are sort of like the military, right? They suck up huge parts of the of the budget that could be going to other things. Many of the problems policing are supposed to be, ends up trying to address, like mental health problems, crimes of poverty, et cetera, housing, all of those could be fixed with funding those things instead of policing. And it's really inspiring to see how many people have taken this up as their demand. And I know some people who are, who are more strident abolitionists feel like the demand is getting co-opted or watered down, and that might be true. But just the the focus on defunding the police as the rallying cry here is really, really inspiring, especially since we now see the Minneapolis City Council is talking about disbanding the police force and replacing it with something new. And I don't know what that new thing is. It could just be a rebranded police. I don't know. But it, it's, it's a pretty exciting moment. Uh, on the federal level... You know, Joe Biden and, and Pelosi and Karen Bass are all trying to tamper down on the defund the police rhetoric, while Donald Trump is quite fascinatingly enough trying to both accuse Joe Biden of being soft on crime and wanting to defund the police, while at the same time accusing him of having authored the crime bill leading to mass incarceration. Uh, you have to sort of admire the Trump strategy of just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. Uh, obviously, Donald Trump is not someone who is a uh, reliable voice on mass incarceration, given his whole career of racial demagoguery around crime, starting with his, you know, infamous ad calling for the execution of teenagers who were falsely accused of, of, a, of a rape in Central Park, you know, which sort of begins his long line of racial demagoguery and, you know, pro-law enforcement policies. And it's interesting because, you know, over Trump's life, he has flip-flopped a lot. He was a Democrat, then he was in the Reform Party, then he was a Democrat, then he was a Republican. At one point, he was for single payer, then he was against it. Like, he was for legalizing drugs, now he's not. But the one thing that's always been consistent is this racist law enforcement adjacent demagoguery, which you can trace back to the Central Park ad he took out. Um, and he's sort of, you know, talking out both sides of his mouth. This, there was a really uh, disturbing video of an elderly gentleman in Buffalo just being knocked over by cops in riot gear, and they just walk by him, not helping him, as he lays on the ground just bleeding, and you can really see the blood pouring out of his head. I would not necessarily recommend watching it every tweet in my timeline for like an hour was was that video and I think it's important people see it I think it's important people see images of police violence but with that being every tweet I had to log off for a while and Donald Trump just came out this morning with this I, I don't even know what kind of conspiracy theory about about this man and you know I don't I don't really know 
Um, what he's even accusing him of, I have to actually read. Well, uh, clearly Chip has not been watching his OANN. I have not. I, I don't really know what that is, other than that there's a ridiculous person in the White House press pool who asks things like, how do you feel about the fact that the media has committed treason by collaborating with the Chinese government? Okay, Buffalo protesters shoved by police could be an Antifa provocateur. 75-year-old Martin Gugino was pushed away after appearing to scan police communications in order to black out the equipment. That's the part I'm most perplexed on. Then he tagged this conspiracy source you mentioned. I watched. He fell harder than he was pushed. I don't, I have nothing to say to that. Was aiming scanner, could be a setup. And I, I, I have no idea what this scanner is, but I, I think what's important here is I, I had an article that came out in, in Jacobin last uh, week and has surprisingly enough been translated into Portuguese twice. Um, for some reason, people in the Portuguese world really want to read about this and good for them. Where I talk about, you know, when Donald Trump talks about Antifa, he's not really talking about a group or even an ideology. He is talking about a right-wing conspiracy theory. And the fact that he has this could be an Antifa provocateur and then accuses this elderly man of, I guess, jamming police communication equipment. So I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what, what scanning and blackout means in this conversation context. Um, so yeah, the Trump approach is really just, you know, right-wing demagoguery, conspiracy theories, red scares, the usual. Uh, and then we've seen a couple of interesting legislative pushes on, on Capitol Hill. Uh, the best one being the bill put forward by uh, Justin Amash and Ayanna Presley to end qualified immunity for people who do not know, in 1871, Congress passed the Ku Klux Klan Act, which gives people remedies against uh, people who act under the color of law and deprive them of, of rights. And the Supreme Court, 100 years later, gradually interpreted that a way to be meaningless by coming up with this doctrine of qualified immunity. First, that if officers thought they were reasonably believed they were acting lawfully, you couldn't sue them, and you know what is that? That's already iffy territory. And then they got into like, if it's not a clearly established right uh, or not, then um, they have qualified immunity. And basically, how clearly established right is used is that well, if the police do this act of brutality, but there's never been a court precedent about it, they're they're immune. And it's really made it extremely difficult to hold police accountable civilly. Uh, it's also really difficult to hold police accountable criminally uh, using some of the same Reconstruction era laws, both because of the lack of political will, but the Supreme Court actually had a very absurd interpretation of one of the Reconstruction laws, which made it a crime to willfully deprive someone of their, their federal accepted rights. And there was this sheriff in the South who beat an African-American guy to death while he was handcuffed with a tire iron, and the Roosevelt administration prosecuted him, saying he willfully deprived this person of his right to a fair trial, and, and the Supreme Court overturned it, uh, saying that while he willfully beat him to death, he wasn't willfully intending to deprive the specific right, uh, which is why another one of the legislative solutions you've seen has been to change the standard of recklessness. And I realize these are really, really wonky solutions, and I know that like 
the wonky sort of insider legal solutions are not going to be what ends hundreds of years of white supremacy and police terrorism. But I, I, I do think there are some positive positive movements. Uh, there's a second more omnibus bill of of police related reforms that the Democrats have put forward. Uh, it doesn't go as far in ending qualified immunity as the Amash Presley bill. And the Amash Presley bill is also co-sponsored by Barbara Lee, AOC, Omar. Um, for some reason, that Kennedy, Joe Kennedy the uh, third, not a fan of him. Um, but but yeah, so there's a more sort of solid attempt to eliminate qualified immunity. And the Democrats have their own bill that would only end it for police officers and not other state officials, which is which is interesting. Um, so I don't know. I mean, obviously there's a, a push to co-opt this moment, but the thing that people should remember is people do not co-opt movements that they view as meaningless or irrelevant. Like I'm not saying like, oh, co-option is good, but the fact that so many people are rushing to try to get back ahead of the narrative and co-opt it is a sign of the strength of our movement and it's something to celebrate. Let me ask you a question here, Chip. There was an article in The Stranger about uh, some events in Seattle with Shama Sawant, the Socialist City Council member. Uh, she was at an event this week and she talked about how uh, her office plans to introduce legislation to defund the police by 50%. Um, and that got some pushback from people wondering, well, why isn't it 100%? The demand in the street right now is to defund the police, abolish the police. And Suant, according to The Stranger, said that she couldn't provide a one-word answer for how to abolish the police within a capitalist society and argued that anyone who said they could was bullshitting. I know that, you know, I support abolishing the police and defunding the police from a, a moral standpoint. That's the opening demand, and then we'll figure out the details later when we get to that point. But you know, you, you laid on the table that police in their current form should not exist at all and start from there. But how do you think this plays out when policymakers actually start get in the room and start start trying to implement this? I mean, Sawan's statement is not uncommon for a lot of abolitionists, right? A lot of abolitionists say that abolishing the police requires abolishing capitalism. We did a socialist night school uh, at DC, for DC that talked about this. Um, a lot of abolitionists, most abolitionists do not envision the immediate ab abolition of the police today, but it provides a framework of how to get there. So I, I think that defunding the police by 50% does push us in the right direction. And there is that framework of sort of how to tell if a demand is in line with abolitionist goals or not. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but 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 you can, you know. I've seen that chart, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if people are talking about, I mean, Alex Vitale is a police abolitionist and he wants, I believe his defund the NYPD um, uh op-ed was even less ambitious than 50%. So I, I think that, I don't know, I don't think if Paul, I don't think if people end up winning significant concessions and consistent and 
like significantly downsizing the level of criminalization and policing in our society that that is a, a cop out or a sellout or a failure. Um, but that's just my take. The, <clears throat> sorry. The defunding, um, at least the uh, 50% defunding, uh, even though it might not satisfy uh, some of the strongest demands from the streets, from protesters, from the movement, it still, as you said, seems to get us a step in the right direction. Yes, yes. The qualified immunity thing, while I get and I appreciate and I think it will help certain people. I can't help but feel that the legal system, like winning in the legal system is a bit like winning the lottery. And to a certain extent, process reforms and focusing on that is, I feel it, it could maybe take away from, from from the bread and butter message behind it, from the material message behind it. And I, I'm not saying that it's one or the other, but I'm, I, I don't know, I'm a little afraid Democrats uh, will focus too much on process things as they seem to be in Congress. You're gonna focus on process things no matter what, right? Like that's, that's the reality. The people on Capitol Hill, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Joe Biden are not going to be focusing on the types of demands that radicals and activists are winning on the streets locally in their cities. That's just the political situation. I'm not saying that's great. Um, I guess what my feeling is that there's going to be process reforms at the federal level. We have to make sure they're good process reforms and not ones that are things like, you know, more money for implicit bias training or saying we're going to end qualified immunity for police and accidentally codifying it for other officials. Um, and I do think ending qualified immunity would be helpful for people who are victims of police violence, right? Like I think if you talk to people who have been brutalized by the police or have lost a loved one to police violence, I think they would appreciate some sort of civil remedy. And I think it's important to remember that you know, civil remedies may be in, in the broad context about money, but for a lot of people, they do feel like there is a sense of, of justice here. And, and I, I know you probably disagree with this, but, you know, people, there was sort of people who would sort of bring sort of like human rights related lawsuits in the 90s against like war criminals. And it's like, well, you're never going to get any money out of this. Do you think you want anything? Like, yeah, we got some sense of justice. We felt heard, we felt like a, a evidence was entered, you know, before a tribunal. And and I, I do think those those things are meaningful. Um, I, I, I don't think it's as meaningful as defunding the police, right? Like suing the police after the fact is less of a solution than, you know, not having the police there to, to do the crime in the first place. But I, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I don't totally agree. Fair points. <laughs> Chip Gibbons, journalist, uh, when he's not appearing on Chip Chat, he's also the policy director over at Defending Rights and Dissent. Does an excellent and, job over there. And we're launching our own podcast uh, this week called Still Spying. Tell us it, more. It's going to be a limited series podcast based on the report Still Spying 
on dissent, the enduring problem of FBI First Amendment abuse. The first episode is going to be on legacy of abuse. We will map out the history of the FBI's abuse of First Amendment rights, starting with the Palmer raids, ending with the present. We'll also, we also honored our interviewing Mike German, a former FBI agent and FBI whistleblower who then went to work at the ACLU. It is now at Brennan Center. Uh, the upcoming episodes after that, there's one on uh, attempts to fit, reform the FBI and what that would look like, and also an episode with Alex Vitale, police abolitionist, for the sort of abolitionist perspective as, as well. Um, so it's going to cover the FBI from a broad range of perspectives. It's If you care about the FBI, it's going to be an interesting podcast to listen to. I can't wait to check it out. Chip Gibbons. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. And friends, stay snacking.